Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Welcome, everybody, to a new episode of the Traveling Image Makers Podcast with your co-host Ugo Che and my good friend and co-host Ralph Velasco, who I believe is now home in Chicago, just returned from Mexico. Is that right, Ralph? Yes, I uh, just got back uh, yesterday afternoon from a nice eight or nine day trip to Copper Canyon, Mexico. Amazing. Love that place. Had fun. I don't think we ever did a, an episode about uh, about Mexico, so maybe we'll, uh, <laughs> we should do one. Uh, one of the we next should. Episodes. I think uh, people would be interested. I think we, we mentioned your, your, your frequent traveler to, to Mexico. You do that tour like uh, every year or so, right? Actually recorded something down there that uh, we might want to use. So oh, we'll yeah, yeah. talk about that offline. Yeah, I, I remember you mentioned it. So we might have an episode specifically about Mexico soon. So we'll talk Sounds about that, uh, of course, uh, in, in the near future. But now let's uh, let's talk about our guest, uh, which goes by the uh, name Photo Joseph. I think everybody uh, knows him as Photo Joseph. We'll just call him Joseph. I think it sounds more more natural. Hi, Joseph. How are you doing? That's fine. Hello. Hello, Hugo. How are you today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, you're uh, home as well, too. Where, where are you based these days? I am based in Oregon, and it's uh, it's a lovely place to live, except for this time of year when we are completely inundated with smoke. Oh, yeah. There's smoke from fires all over the coast, and I just learned this morning we're getting a, a fresh batch of smoke from Canada. They're importing it now, oh, so that's just lovely. That's That's got to be horrible. Huh? Yeah, we've had about uh, six weeks, I'd say, of largely unbreathable air. It's definitely, it gets gets worse every year. It's uh, It's a shame. Would you like to introduce yourself for, uh, for our audience, uh, just uh, a little bit, who is Photo Joseph? Absolutely. So, as you said, my name is Photo Joseph. My real name is Joseph, but we go by Photo Joseph. You can find me that way online, absolutely everywhere, on all the socials, website, and everything else. And I am a photographer, an educator. I do uh, workshops. I do a YouTube show called Photo Joseph's Photo Moment. That's actually a live show every weekday, mor- every Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning at 9.30 a.m. Pacific at youtube.com slash photojoseph. And I do, uh, I'm a lynda.com author. And of course, I'm also a working photographer and filmmaker. So really all over the place when it comes to content creation. Uh, as you said, you're a photographer, a filmmaker. You do have a YouTube show. You're a content producer, but you're mostly an educator. You do shows, not just to, to talk about the not-so-nice weather in Oregon these days. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's really all over the place. And yeah, I suppose you could say that if you really broke it down by category, more and more of my work is in education. But the cool thing is the, the way that it's come together is while I am doing client work, I am doing photography and video for clients, I'm doing more and more video production for myself, for my own education process. So if I'm, it's not just about, you know, go stand on in front of a camera and babble away for five minutes. It's actually producing something and really putting some time and effort into it, just as if I was doing something for a client. And it it makes it really interesting because you get to put your skills to work creating exactly what you want to create as opposed to what a client wants you to create. And that can be fun. But I 
don't do not give up have not given up and don't ever plan to give up client work because at the end of the day that's where you really learn how to do new things is when somebody comes and asks you how to do something or to do something totally unexpected yeah i guess that makes sense i mean uh, maybe some, some people improvise themselves educators and then without a lot of really background experience and uh, it's uh It's nice to know that somebody is a is a working photographer or video maker, and they they know what they're talking about. You know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important to keep a foot in both sides of it. If you're if you think about teachers and educators who purely do education, and they may have made a transition into education because they did that job professionally for a number of years, but then you go ahead five, ten, twenty, thirty years, and they haven't done an actual professional job in decades. And they're a bit out of touch with what's going on in the industry. And so I want to make sure that that never happens to me. And that's something I've always seen in educators, how uh, as they age, they get on in years and suddenly they haven't actually done any real work in a really, really long time. And I think that's a shame. So I intend to uh, to keep feet in both sides of that camp forever, essentially. You know, our, our podcast is about travel photography and you know, keeping in mind what we just said about the importance of video. Uh, what kind of equipment are you using? Are, are you using really high-end stuff? Because your your videos are extremely high quality. Or is it something that our listeners you know can have access to? Is it something because you do this professionally that you're going way higher end? How does that work? No, no, it's definitely stuff your users have access to. So in full disclosure, I am sponsored by Panasonic. I'm a Lumix ambassador. And so I am using pretty much all Lumix equipment. So for the higher end videos, it's going to be shooting on GH5 and GH5S. And for higher end stills, be shooting on a G9. But if I'm traveling just me and it's not a professional thing and I just want to go light, I'll go with a, a lower end camera. I'll go with something like the GX85, which is a really small, lightweight perfect, perfect travel camera. I've actually shot a wedding on that camera before. I mean, it was a wedding for my brother, brother-in-law. It wasn't like a you know paid gig, but you know what? Those photos were, they were just as good as what you'd get from any other camera, any other pro camera. Uh, it's not the gear, as we all know. It's not the gear that limits us in most cases. And so no, there's not a single piece of gear in my repertoire that I use that is not accessible to, uh, to regular folks. It's, I'm not shooting Reds. I'm not shooting Alexa. I'm not shooting anything like that. What about uh, just uh, smartphone photography? I mean, can people nowadays get quality, uh, you know, image captures from smartphones with, with regards to video? Well, sure. I think you know the answer to that question. It's, it's remarkable what you can do these days, isn't it? Uh, smartphones are just getting better and better. Uh, there's, you know, no matter how good they get, I always like to point out that there will always be a gap. And to say, oh, smartphones will never be as good as cameras, well, as full-size cameras, maybe not at the same time, right? But the smartphone that we have today is as good as digital cameras were, probably better than full-size digital cameras were a decade ago. And there are physical limitations, lens size, sensor size, and so on, but computational photography is becoming more and more important and bigger and bigger part of these small phones. And the gap is closing, but there is still physical size limitations and the fact that technology advances on both platforms. So no matter how good your iPhone gets, the bigger cameras with a bigger sensor and bigger glass are also spending those exact same number of hours getting better as well. So maybe maybe sometimes they don't seem to advance as quickly. Uh, we certainly are seeing bigger smart bigger advancements in smartphone photography than we are in mirrorless or mirrored photography. But I think that that gap will always be there. But there's that point of good enough, and certainly what we get off of our smartphones is really remarkable. And there are a lot of times where that's the only camera that I have with me, and they're great. What about uh, accessories? 
you know, sometimes for, for video, especially if it's uh, the light is not great, you're shooting in the, in the night, uh, so maybe you need extra lights. Um, so sure. Do you carry extra lights? Uh, what about audio? What's your favorite audio equipment uh, or any other accessories that you use? I mean, specifically when traveling, things like, I don't know, the gimbal mounts for the phone to stabilize it or stuff like that. Okay, well, let's start with the smallest end the, on the smartphone because it is very good. Uh, I've actually done a series of videos, a bunch of videos around doing microphones, getting better audio into the smartphone because that's, that's its weakest point, right? The camera is great. The sensor is really good. You can shoot 4K for crying out loud. And it's even stabilized. And if you're on one of the bigger smartphones, it probably has optical stabilization. So it's really, the video you get out of them is remarkable. But the audio is really bad. And that is definitely one of the bigger challenges so there's a lot of different ways to rig it up and you can buy if you're on an iphone you can buy a little lightning microphones right just plugged into the lightning port and away you go but obviously the bigger you get when it comes to microphones it's like sensors the bigger you get the better you're going to get so you can attach a, a small boom mic to it you can attach a wireless lav or a wired lav there's so many different ways to connect it. And unfortunately, not all of them are that straightforward and easy, which is why I've ended up doing so many shows about it on the channel. But getting good audio is really, really important for sure. I would say if you're looking for gear recommendations, if you're trying to do things like uh, interviews or selfie video and you want to be able to talk to the camera, the probably cheapest and best way to get really good audio there is going to be with a wired lav. Companies like Rode make things called the Smart Lav. So Rode has a, a Smart Lav Plus, I believe is the full name of it. And it is a wired microphone that plugs right into your iPhone. And it's going to need that little adapter that comes with your iPhone because Apple, in their infinite wisdom, dropped the headphone port so long ago. And so you'll need that adapter. But that'll give you so much better audio. And then if you want to hook up a, a little miniature boom mic, just like you'd put on top of your DSLR or something, again, from Rode or Sennheiser or, or any of the other companies that make these great mics for you know, $1 to $200, again, you need a little bit of an adapter. You need something to hold it, but you can put it together pretty easily. Uh, so yeah, getting, getting better audio is definitely a big plus. There's things like the Moment lenses, which I've seen, I've never actually worked with, but I'm really intrigued by those. Are you guys familiar with those, the Moment lens kits for for your iphone mm -hmm. yep. really beautiful they're, they're add-on lenses and you know we've seen add-on lenses before they've kind of taken it to a new level and and you know again i'm not sponsored i've never even used one of them before i've just seen a lot of videos about them and they'll make they make a case i guess you can get it with or without a battery so you can have kind of an extra battery case so you have your protection your extra battery and then it has a physical mount on it to attach these small lenses and one of the lenses that they've got that's their newest is an anamorphic lens so you actually get an anamorphic image into your camera and then they have their own software that'll de-squeeze it. And so you get this super wide aspect ratio video shot with your iPhone and you get the lens flares that you get with anamorphic and it just, it looks so cool. And it's remarkable that you can get such a cool image out of such a tiny little package. So that's something that I'm, I am intrigued by. I'm going to have to get my hands on that at some point. Um, so, but other than that, lens accessories, I generally don't. It's just, you know, shooting with the iPhone as it is. But, of course, if you go into the bigger cameras, then, well, the sky's the limit, isn't it? I mean, you can certainly shoot with gimbals. Um, I've, I have one gimbal that I'd use a bit. I don't use it a huge amount. It's a little bit cumbersome. They're a little complicated sometimes to use. DJI's got their latest gimbal out that is really, really good. I just saw, saw it for the first time the other day in person. It looks really nice. Um, and those are quite affordable, but not exactly the kind of thing you just want to throw in your travel bag if you're on doing a vacation trip for photography if you're just going out with your friends but if you're doing a job you know then those things can become critical 
but it's it's yeah lens choice microphone choice it really just comes down to the job and you can spend a little bit or you can spend a whole lot of money yeah. <laughs> it depends on what you're after i remember when we were in chicago together at the out of chicago conference we, we met there a few months ago and we we shared the ride to the airport uh, we did yeah and i asked you a question there i asked you um, and I would like to, to repeat your answer to, to our audience because I think it's it's really useful. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not big into video. I'm doing something, and I'm really not an expert, especially on video editing. So I ask you okay. for somebody like me who just started into video, and I'm I'm using iMovie essentially. You know? <laughs> sure. So if I want to graduate up from iMovie to something that lets me gives me a bit more freedom, a bit more sophistication, which software would you recommend? Yeah. So I think what I told you then, at least I hope this is what I told you then, because <laughs> this is what I'm telling you now, <laughs> was uh, we'll just pretend well, it was to move to Final Cut. I mean, if you're if you're using iMovie right now, then Final Cut Pro is definitely the the clear transition point it's going to feel very similar the editing workflow the editing paradigm is the same you're just going to have more tools at your fingertips that's essentially the difference you when you go from my movie to final cut you're just getting more tools if you were to switch over to something like premiere or resolve both of which are phenomenal editors you would have a very different experience you would have to relearn some of your basic editing skills. And not to say that that's bad, that you don't want to do that, but if you want the easiest transition, then Final Cut would definitely be the way to go. Uh, I'm a Final Cut user. I've been a Final Cut user for a very, very long time, and I really, really like it, but it's very polarizing. This is a you know, taste great, less filling debate. This is a Democrat-Republican debate. It is absolutely, there are people who will just fight to the death over which is a better editor, which is silly because at the end of the day, they're all very, very good tools. They just have different approaches to things and every tool has its advantage and disadvantages. Uh, But those are the three biggies, Final Cut, Premiere and Resolve. And I'm a Final Cut editor and I love it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just uh, was purposefully not asking you which one is the best editor because I know that can lead to a religion war, but (laughs) specifically, what would be the easiest one to pick up for somebody who is coming from, say, iMovie? So perfect answer. Yeah, if you're coming from iMovie, then definitely Final Cut. If I, if I could just uh, re- go back just a, a minute, you know, you're talking about gimbals. Yeah. And I, I just bought the, uh, the the Osmo, the DJI oh, cool. Osmo. Sure. And I got this refurbished for $89. Wow. That's and, a Yeah. I, I, but to be honest, I was, I was really surprised at how big it is. I didn't realize that it would be this large. So it is, and it's, and it's kind of unwieldy, especially without the phone on it. But uh, and for those of you who are just listening to the show, I'm, I was uh, showing the guys the the actual device that I have. Um, but it it did really well for me in Mexico when I was on the the train, the Chepe train, which only passenger train in all of Mexico for my my Copper Cannon trip. And you know you can imagine that you're on a train and things are really bumping along and sure. and it got some really nice smooth video nice. and it had a nice battery life and for $89 I think it's an amazing device. Uh, yeah, have you ever have you ever used uh, used that Joseph? I have not used that one specifically for the iPhone. I actually have a version of that DJI gimbal that has its own camera built into it and I remember what that's called. It's an Osmo. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's an Osmo as well. Um and I bought that 
several years ago, I got it for a specific job. It was great. It shoots 4K, but it's a small sensor, and it's not as good as what I was getting out of my Lumix cameras. But it uh, it did the job for what I needed. I had I had a very very specific use for it, and it's it is basically the same as the one you just showed there. It's just that it's uh, got its own camera built in instead of the smartphone instead of a holder for the smartphone. But no, these things are great. Uh, yeah, like you said, it's, it's a little big perhaps, but it kind of has to be. You know, the arms have to reach all the way around three axes of the phone. You have to have a handle that's physically large enough for you to hold on to. So it, it makes sense that it's that size. But uh, yeah, if you don't mind carrying the extra size, then they are great. You are really going to get some very nice smooth footage out of them. Yeah, and it's not something that just slips into your pocket either just because no. of its odd shape. It does have a... Uh, a wrist strap on it that I put a a cram uh, a what do you call it, a little clamp that I could then put it onto my uh, belt loop. Sure. So, uh, but it, it was it was fun to use. Yeah, using a gimbal is it really is a whole next level thing. It's it, you the the quality of your footage, the smoothness of your footage goes up exponentially. The ability to not just stand there holding your camera and maybe do some simple arm movements, but to be able to actually walk with it or do big sweeping movements or like you said even be on the train where you've got a lot of motion that you can't control and to still get a good clean shot it's an incredible thing to do but it does require that extra level of effort and equipment to carry around that depending on what you're doing it may just not be worth it for the record the dji osmo is the one that joseph you're referring to is the one that comes with its own camera and i have the same one the oh, okay one that, there you that, go that ralph has i think it's called the dji osmo mobile I have the DJ, the Osmo, the original one, and it's it's great. In some situations, I used it for, um, I have the uh, suction cup accessory. Mm-hmm. It allows you to mount it to the hood or the roof of a car. Right. So you can shoot very, I was uh, shooting, I was driving off-road in the mountains of Oman, very bumpy road. And I got incredibly smooth footage in, in the nice. situation that you would not be able to get with with something like that that only right now costs only a few hundred dollars. But even with just 79 and you use your iPhone on top of it, it's even cheaper. There's no reason right. not to get it. I mean, yeah, nice. takes up a little bit of space, but uh, in some situations, it's uh, it's really great. Yeah, absolutely. And when I bought mine, I said it was for a specific job, and it was for a single shot that I needed, and that was a bike going down a a road bike going down a long mountain road. And you know the road is relatively smooth, but of course there's still going to be little bumps in it, and any little bump is going to translate right into the camera. And so putting that gimbal on there, it's probably the same accessory kit you have. I have a bicycle mount for it, and I rigged that thing up, and uh, got beautiful shots of the cyclist going down the mountain. And one cyclist riding next to the other. You know, one with the camera and one that was the subject, and uh, it was beautiful. It's amazing what those things can do. Yeah, <laughs> just just one more thing about this. I, I did shoot some video while with the Osmo while I was riding a bike. I was just <laughs> passing other cyclists and so on, and some, I put the video on Facebook, and somebody commented that I was reckless and in, endangering people. They they probably thought I had my phone in my hand. I said, no, really, <laughs> my hands are on the handlebars. <laughs> this is just attached to the uh, frame of the bike. <laughs> There's nothing here that is really dangerous. Everybody's got an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so, Joseph, uh, you know, as, as, as a professional video content creator, can you give our audience uh, three of your top tips for creating great video content while traveling? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
the first one's going to go back to what you're talking about earlier about recommending gear to have with you and talking about microphones and sound is going to be a really, really important part of it. I think it's easy to overlook, especially since a lot of cameras come with built in. Well, pretty much every camera comes with a built in, really not very good microphone. Adding a microphone onto that is going to make a huge difference. Now, not all cameras are designed to take an add on microphone. So that can certainly complicate matters. But if your camera does have the ability to plug in a mic and you want really good audio, you want your video to look and sound really good, then adding an extra mic is definitely going to be, uh, be a big part of that. Now, when I say that, I don't want people to think like, oh, well, if I can't put a good audio, a good microphone on my camera, then I may as well just not even bother because there's no point to it. There are certainly ways to work around things. Like, for example, I've done productions where I didn't put on an external mic or maybe I was shooting with a camera that I couldn't put on an external mic. And you end up just using the sound that's recorded as what we'd call nat sound, natural sound, just kind of background ambience. It's not really primary audio. But then you mix it in with music or maybe a voiceover and that audio that was recorded on camera that may not be very good, it just becomes background. It's texture. And that's a really, really big advantage to it. If, right, if you if, think about this, if you shoot some video of a city street, so you're walking down the streets in New York or Mexico, you're just in Mexico, you're walking down some street in, in Mexico and your audio is not very good. So you go, okay, I'm going to throw away the audio. I'm just going to put on some music. Well, that's fine, but it doesn't really go together perfectly, right? There's something missing. But if you take that existing audio that maybe wasn't very good, but you leave it in there and leave it at a lower level, but keep your music up a bit stronger, and you just, you hear that bicycle ride by, you hear that horn honking in the background, you hear the chatter of the kids that are running around in the park. Those, that texture, those little layers of audio makes such a difference. And then to add on to that, you can enhance that by adding sound effects, right? It's, you, you don't feel badly about that. You're like, okay, there was this bike that went by, but I couldn't hear it. Well, get a little audio sound, a little audio snippet of a bicycle riding by, and you can buy stock stuff. You can find them free. You can go out and record your own if you want to do that and just start adding the layers of audio to build up the texture of that. And it's going to make such a difference. Your music will sound, your, your video will sound so much richer when you have the music and the audio all layered in there. And it, it doesn't have to be a huge effort. It really doesn't have to be huge. You just find some decent sound. You drop it on there onto the timeline. If you're editing an iMovie or Final Cut and uh, pull it together, and you're going you're gonna to make something much, much nicer. So, so that's going to be a big part of it. You know, and I, I use the iRig Lav that I bought just a couple years ago, and it's great, uh, especially for if I'm doing testimonials on a trip when I've got sure. guests there and, you know, hey, Joe, you know, we've got this amazing background. Do you mind giving me a quick testimonial? I'll clip it onto their chest and pops right into the phone and i usually just use my iphone and it is a world of difference when there especially when there's wind noise and things okay. like that it's and, and then i've got the extra accessory where you can put two mics and you can interview someone and you've got nice. a mic and they've got the mic too it's got extensions um the other thing i would recommend too is if you don't if you're not interested in purchasing something is holding the iphone so that your your hand is sort of cupped around the uh, the microphone where the, sure. the end of the microphone so that the person's sort of talking into the cup of your hand and you're getting uh, you know more of a sound like kind of like putting your hand behind your ear to hear a little better right but uh, go ahead please uh, I'd ask you for three if you've got a couple more that'd be great Joseph all right so the second one I would say is is going to be about how much you shoot it's it's really easy especially as still photographers making a transition into video. We're used to not overshooting, 
right? If you're going to take a picture of something, you pick up your camera, you frame it, you get ready, you take a picture, maybe take a couple to make sure you got the focus right, or maybe you adjust exposure a little bit, but you take a few shots and you move on. And I've seen so many times where people who are shooting video, who especially are used to shooting still photography, they treat it in largely the same way, where they pick up the camera, frame it, get everything ready, hit the button, and it's effectively they're hitting the button and in their mind saying action at the same time. And then when the scene is done or whenever their shooting is done, they hit the button to stop recording immediately afterwards. And then when you go to edit it, you realize that you don't have any room to cut around because the, the thing that you are shooting, the activity, the action, the event that you are shooting, when your video starts the moment that the action starts and it ends at the moment the action ends, you have no way to transition into that. You can't do a dissolve into it. You can't, there's no breathing room for the shot. So it's so important to start shooting, to start rolling several seconds before the action actually begins. And obviously, if you're shooting some, you know, something is happening in front of you, that may not be an option. But whenever the option is there, shoot more than you think you need. Yeah, it does take up more storage space. You're going to fill up your memory cards and your hard drives faster. But when it comes to editing, having that breathing room, that ability to edit around that is just, it's so important. It gives you so much more control over the edit and, you, and more options when it comes to cutting together a story. You know, it, it's a great point. And what I love about shooting video, and I'm doing more of it, but again, just with the iPhone, is uh, telling that story just like you want to do with photography and capturing that overall establishing shot then looking for the medium and the detail shots that make it up but also uh, with video telling the story uh, getting a variety of angles and b-roll and and all these things that you can then uh, fold into the edited uh, end result to be able to to tell the story do you have any tips around that or anything well sure I, I'm, I'm glad you said b-roll that's that's a great point it kind of adds into what we just what i just said and you're shooting your scene your active scenes your your primary footage your a role if you want to call it that and making sure you have the extra handles and the extra uh, footage to play with but yeah shooting b-roll is just as important and I think that if you're if you're going to shoot, let's say you're shooting a vlog style thing, you want to go somewhere and be able to tell the story of your day in Mexico, whatever it might be. If all you ever shoot is the primary stuff of the story you're trying to tell, you have nothing to break up the story. You have nothing to to help fill in the gaps of what's going on. If, as you get from point A to point B, well, how did you get there? You didn't shoot anything between A and B. Suddenly there's footage of one person talking and then somebody else talking and well, hold on, what happened in between? But if you have all this extra footage, the B-roll footage of cars driving down the street, people walking around, sitting in a cafe, having a beer, whatever it might be, just really shooting all this extra footage way more than you think you need. Then when it comes to editing, you have those those pieces to fill in the gaps and frankly, to add more character and more interest uh, to the story. You know, when you think about, you now we're talking bigger filmmaking type of things, but if you think about a journey through somewhere like Mexico and even if the story is about you the individual or your family or whatever the person is that you're shooting that you're with there's they are characters in the story but you have to treat the location as a character right you're in in this city and that city is a character in your story and make sure that you're telling their story as well not just your story or whoever else is on camera show the city show the environment show everything about it because that is going to help tell the story of the location treat them like a character treat the location like a character plus when the person in the video is talking they may talk about something that you can then cut to that totally. visually explains what they're talking about and breaks it up yeah absolutely yeah you probably don't want to watch someone talk on camera for 30 seconds 60 seconds about something but if they're talking about 
I don't know, this textile factory that you visited. Well, why just hear them talk about it? Let me see it. So if you shot while you were there visiting, if you shot a bunch of footage of the people making the textiles and close-ups of the materials and everything else, then you have a lot of stuff to cut between. It's funny, when you're doing video, when you're cutting video, if you have a shot that's on screen for more than a couple seconds, it starts to feel long very quickly. You're going, why are we holding on to this shot for so long here? We're so used to a fast-paced editing um, just from watching TV and commercials and movies that we see today. We're used to this. And if you watch an older film, if you watch a film shot in the you know, 70s or 80s or even 90s, a lot of times they feel slow. And we didn't back then say, oh, that's a slow film. It was just normal. But today we're used to so much more fast-paced, such a fast-paced environment that watching these older movies can feel slow. You know, my kids have no interest in watching older movies. They're like, oh, this is boring. Yeah, this is a great story. Give it time. Let the story unfold. Yeah, whatever. It's slow. <laughs> no. So, yeah, you need to have a lot of footage. If you've got 60 seconds of someone talking, which doesn't sound like long at all. I mean, this podcast is going to be you know, however, 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes long, and that's perfectly fine. But if you're watching someone talk and all they're doing is talking for 60 seconds and you're not seeing any other footage cut in, it's going to get boring quick. So, yeah, having that is super important. Uh, so now we, we know what equipment to use. We know how to shoot, how to capture audio, and uh, how to edit it. Uh, what about publishing it? Uh, I know your channel is on YouTube, but what about these new media, these new channels that are coming out, like uh, IGTV, or so on? What's the future of uh, online video? Uh, sure. Where, where do you go to become the next Casey Neistat? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think... I think the space for that is still going to be primarily YouTube. YouTube has the infrastructure. It has the the searchability, the findability. If you're creating good content and you're using good keywords and uh, really paying attention to your titling and everything else that goes into it, you're more likely to be found on YouTube than anywhere else. And not to say that something else can't pick up the pace, that something else can't eat YouTube's lunch at some point. But right now, YouTube is so big, and it effectively it is very good. And they certainly have their problems. So they've definitely have had problems. You've heard about uh, demonetization issues and people's accounts getting deleted. And there's always problems, but they're massive. It's a massive organization, a massive company. Uh, and it does have the infrastructure to support small content creators like us. So YouTube is still where my money is. That's that's where I put my content. And unless something changes dramatically, that's where I'll continue to put it. But it's also important to consider that at some point you may need to move, you may want to move, and that you should build your business not around just that platform, but to keep it a bit more flexible and to make sure that your income isn't, for example, only coming from YouTube ad revenue. Are you using uh, any other platforms at all, like Vimeo, or uh, you're putting stuff up there uh, just to, uh, I don't know, it's kind of a backup? or Sure. No. Yeah, no, not as a backup. I do, I use Vimeo, but I use it in a, a unique way. I am, I have my website, photojoseph.com, which has a paid membership section to it. And uh, so a paywall effectively. And the video that is behind the paywall is actually hosted on Vimeo. And that's only because Vimeo gives me the tools to put a video on my website and put it uh, restricted by IP address so it can only be played on my website. And from there within my website, I'm able to hide that video from non-paying members or expose it to paying members. So I can't do that with YouTube. 
uh, if I tried to do that with YouTube, as soon as somebody was able to dig in and find the original video URL, then they could embed it anywhere. So that wouldn't work. So Vimeo gives me the tools to do that. So I love Vimeo for that. Uh, but I don't use Vimeo as a platform to show my footage. Uh, no, when, when you're watching one of my videos on my website, there's no indication that it's on Vimeo. It's, there's no branding. There's, you, don't, you don't know. And if you go to my Vimeo page, you're not going to find anything because everything there is hidden. It's only available through my website. Uh, you mentioned IGTV, which is really interesting, right? I mean, Instagram is obviously huge. Facebook owns Instagram. They are obviously trying to make a big push on that, trying to make it a big deal. And they chose to do something different and unique. And I think that's great by doing the vertical video. And it's funny because, you know, it's not like you can't just upload a video that you've rotated sideways and then people rotate their phone to play it. But, uh, but clearly that's not how it's designed. Now, when you do that, the play bar doesn't rotate or the scrubber bar doesn't rotate with it. It stays at the bottom of the phone. So it is definitely not designed for that. It really is a vertical video format. And it's interesting to see what people are doing with it. Uh, when it first launched, I did a whole video on how to shoot for it because you can, you know, you can shoot your 4K video on your camera, holding it horizontally and then crop into it. Or you can rotate your camera. And I actually did. It was the weekend of out of Chicago when that launched and I was there in Chicago and I spent my first day running around the city shooting video with my camera held sideways, which is the weirdest thing to do, but it, I did it and it worked and it was kind of cool and fun to do. Uh, there's no monetization directly on Instagram TV yet, but that doesn't stop you from making money, right? You can still talk about products. You can still point people to your store. You can still talk about your Lightroom presets or whatever else that you have for sale and uh, you know, use affiliate links and all that. So all that stuff is still there. You just don't have direct YouTube ad revenue from it uh, like you do on YouTube. But you know, it's still a way to make a living there if you wanted to do it. I just don't, at least the way it's set up now, I don't see it growing into something as big as YouTube. Do you create and produce your show on your own or do you have a team behind you? So I am, the vast majority of it is done on my own. Uh, I have an assistant who works for me part-time who helps mainly with the live production and the live side of things. So the Photo Joseph's Photo Moment show that we do live three times a week, he is uh, kind of the producer behind there, making sure that everything's going well. I actually handle the switching on my own while live because I'm switching between multiple cameras, but he'll be in the back. He's monitoring the audio levels, monitoring the chat room, making sure that the live stream bandwidth is looking good, notifying me if there's any problems, that sort of thing. And then all of the, uh, the video uploading, the keywording on YouTube, all of that is something that he handles. So we make sure that we're getting the most optimized keywords and titling and everything else. That's something that he does. Uh, when it comes to bigger video productions, it just depends on the client's budget. It's really what it comes down to. There are plenty of productions where I do, that I do entirely on my own. And then as budgets increase, you can start to hire people, maybe bring in an editor uh, for the editing side of it, maybe bring in a sound designer, maybe bring in a graphics artist for the motion graphics. Um, and then for the shooting side of it, you know, it's great to be able to work with the team, with lighting people, sound people, producers and directors and DPs. And it's great to assemble a team, but all those things cost money. So it just depends on what the budget of the client is. You know, usually when it comes to a commercial production, one of the first conversations, they, they always want to know what's it going to cost. And the answer is always, well, how much do you want to spend? I can, I can do a production for $2,000. I can do it for 10. I can do it for 20, for 50, for 100, for a quarter million. You tell me how much money you want to spend. The more money you spend, it's not money going into my pocket. It's money that's going to be spent on the production. The more money we have, the more options we have. Locations, crew, everything else. Uh, but if you want to do it cheap and on a budget, then I'm going to do it all by myself. And, uh, and that's the way it's going to go. Now, you, you uh, also organize and lead tours, and you've got a trip coming up to India. 
Uh, I'm going to ask you to tell us about that. But what are you going to do about your 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 th- uh, show that you're doing three times a week during that period? Are you still going to run it? Are you going <laughs> to? <Yeah. laughs> That's a great question. No, I think I think uh, I think I'm, the show's going to take a short hiatus during that time. <laughs> I will. What I'll probably do is record some videos, some non-live versions of the show that'll get released. Probably not as often. I probably won't do three a week. Maybe I'll do one or two a week just so that there's some content because having the channel go completely quiet is definitely bad. It's it's interesting when I've done it in the past, I've either shut the show down for a week because I'm on vacation or maybe because um, I've just got another production that's taking up so much time. I just, I just have to. And recovering from that actually takes a lot longer than you would expect. The revenue decrease that the revenue hit or decreased revenue hit, whatever that happens because of taking a week off of the show takes a longer, takes a lot longer than a week to recover from. It's really interesting to see. So um, I will, I will have to do something to release while I'm there, but I won't be able to go live from there. I'm sure we're going to be in some pretty remote locations. Uh, I'm certainly not expecting to have that kind of bandwidth and I'm going to be leading a workshop. I don't want to be taking away from the people that I'm that have paid me to be there uh, that are, you know, that are on the workshop with me to say, Oh, sorry guys, we're going to take a couple hour break while I go do a live show. Go, go do your own thing. It's, you know, that's not what they're there for. So, um, but yeah, I'm going to have to shut the show down, but release it as a pre-recorded series for a couple of, a uh, couple of weeks. Sure. And Ed, so what, what made you decide to, to do a trip to India? What, uh, what was it about that location that drew you to it? Yeah, I know. It, it's, well, it's incredible. I don't know if you've ever been to India, but it's a, it's just, just a stunning place. It's obviously a huge country with so much variety and it's so different than what most Westerners are used to. Even well-traveled Westerners, if they've never been to India, it is a, a utterly unique experience. And I've been a number of times and loved most of it. There are certainly parts of India that you go, well, I'm not so sure I like this part of it, but that's part of it, right? That's part of the story. That's part of the texture of the country. And getting out there with a workshop group, I think is going to be absolutely phenomenal. We're going to see some things and experience uh, events and people and culture that most regular travelers don't get a chance to do. So the timing of it and the organization of it is actually being is largely dictated by a specific event. And the organization is being handled by a local company out there that does photography tours. They, their, their business is to build these photography workshops for other photographers on request. And so we work together to craft the tour the way that I wanted it. And of course, they know the country far better than I ever will. And so they're able to give me recommendations and they can say, okay, well, you know, if, if we're going to base it around this event, then we can go here, here, and here. And then we kind of crafted a schedule based off of that and put something together that I thought my audience would enjoy. And, uh, and crafted the tour that way. So it's great because we have on the ground local support. Um, obviously, I'm not there to plan it from, you know, from day one forward. So I'll get there a day or two before everybody else will and, and we'll uh, hit the ground running. But we have a crew there who has done all the, the hard work on the ground to make sure that everything goes smoothly. Are, are you basing this around uh, Kumbh Mela? Is that it? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly it. Why don't you yeah. tell our listeners about that and what the, what that event is? Because it's <laughs> uh, it's one of the largest gatherings of humanity in the world, isn't it? That is exactly what it is. Yeah, the Arncumela Mela is. Uh, so this one that we're going to be there for is actually a half mela, a half event. This event, the primary event, happens every six years, and the half event happens in between that. So every three. So um, technically, there's a half every six and a full one every six. The full event has 
over 120 million people present. We're going to be there for a half event, so expected around 60 million, you know, just 60 million. And it's not like it's 60 million people descending on New Delhi. It is 60 million people descending on a what is effectively a remote, small part of the country. And the clearly the infrastructure there is not designed on a day-to-day basis to handle that many people, but they do have the event there every three years. And so there is a massive temporary infrastructure that gets built. There is an entire police and security force that is built around it. There are obviously food services. And for things like accommodations, there are these incredible tent cities that get built and they're luxury tents. It's not like, you know, go pitch your your REI tent and, and hope for the best. And these are big luxury tents with streets and running water and electricity and everything else in them. They're, they're actually remarkable. I'm really excited about that part of it. But we are going to be seeing and be right in the middle of, like you said, one of the, if not the single largest gathering of humanity on the planet. It is going to be an absolutely stellar, stellar event. I mean, it's got to be because yeah, I was just in Mexico City the night before last, which is one of the largest cities in the world and I think uh-huh. 25, 30 million uh, so that's twice the half Mela, if I could call it that, is yeah. lar- uh, twice as large as one of the largest cities in the world. I mean, that just <laughs> blows my mind. Right? Isn't that incredible? Yeah, it's. There's no doubt it's going to be a a staggering event, and I think the people who are are going to be coming on this workshop are going to experience something that is unforgettable. It is an absolute once in a lifetime experience. And I think for many people, it'll be a life changing experience just to see so many people and to be so out of place. You know, I've, I've made it very clear that this is not a workshop, not a tour that is for beginners. If you have never traveled out and by beginner, I don't mean beginner photographer, but beginner traveler. If you've, if you don't have a passport yet, uh, no, do, do not, do not try and sign up for this workshop. If you have never even traveled outside of Western, you know, quote unquote, Western world, then maybe probably not the best place to go first, you know, pick a country that's a bit easier to do first. I'm reminded of one of my trips to Thailand. There's, I was in this hotel in Bangkok, this kind of really cool, funky little writer's um, uh, hotel, hostel, I guess you'd call it, small hotel, really cheap, really inexpensive, really a haven for writers. I'd found this thing online and I was going to be there for a while before a job and I found this great little place to, to hang out. And in the lobby of this hostel, there was a sign that said, Bangkok is not for beginners. And that really stuck with me because if if you've ever been to Bangkok, you know it is an absolutely incredible city. But if you've never been outside of your home country, if you've never been to Southeast Asia, then that is not a place to start. It's just too different. It's too wild. Uh, There's too much going on. It'll it'll, it'll blow you over. So uh, this trip is not. Excuse me, but the, yeah, but you know, Bangkok—that's nothing compared to what, what you're going to experience exactly. at, in India on this trip. I was asked to to do a, uh, I think it was the full. Is it what I call it the full Mela? Yeah, yeah. Full, yeah, full Mela. Uh, a, f- a few years ago, and I I wasn't able to do it, and I and I'm a fairly well traveled person, and I was a little bit intimidated, sure, uh, to even do it. It didn't fit into my schedule, unfortunately. But uh, that so the the is this a built a religious. Right. Uh, you know, th- thing that the people you've got these sadhus, these self-proclaimed holy men, and sure. they're they're uh, you know talk to us about what some of the photo opportunities are going to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is. It's a variety of of religious and spiritual groups that come together for this, and they come from all over the country, and they come in there for I, the full event. I believe is a month and a half. 
Uh, so it's, you know, that, that number of 60 million too, that is a number of people that are flowing through there. It's not like there's necessarily going to be 60 million all at once in one place, but over the course of the, uh, like I said, I think it's six weeks, uh, the event is going on. People are coming in and there's a variety of, of specific events that happen. There's things like bathing in the river that are, uh, just going to be these incredible events with tens or hundreds of thousands of people descending into a single location at once to, to, to bathe and to be blessed and to do their spiritual events. And there's these different groups that come together that may not necessarily have anything to do with each other, but they're all there at the same time for the specific event. And we will be in the middle of all that and to be able to photograph it. And it's not unusual, even though we will be a very, very, very small percentage of the number of people there. Uh, it's not unusual to have people there documenting and photographing it. And so we've been assured that this is not going to be the kind of place where people are going to go, oh, get away, don't take my picture. It's it's going to be perfectly fine to be out there shooting and to be photographing this incredible sample of humanity and to be able to see what people are doing and to see things that we simply would not see uh, in the in the regular Western world, if you will. Is this along the Ganges River? Do you know? Is that location? It is. Yeah, there's, um, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, let me see, I'm trying to pull up on the map on here to see exactly. Um, there's, the Ganges is, it kind of comes together right where it is. Allahabad is the city. There's three, is it three different rivers or two? There's a, a joining of three major rivers. I think two of them are, well, one of them is the Ganges. It kind of goes all the way through. So three of the points are, and I'm looking at the map here. I'm having a hard time reading it. It starts with Yamuna River, according to the map. So it's three points that come together. When you look at Allahabad on the map, you'll see that there's basically three major waterways that come into this one point, And that's where the meeting place is. Yeah, I do, I do, I do do trips to India and, uh, I've been to Varanasi and that's yep. uh, quite a, quite a spectacular place to go in the Ganges. And, uh, from what our local guide said, if you're Hindu, uh, you want to die in, in Varanasi. That's sort mm. of the, the Holy grail right. of, of, of places. And it's really, really interesting to see the people, bathing and um, blessing themselves and drinking the, the water from the, the river, this holy river, and seeing all these amazing rituals that they have. I, I can only imagine what you're going to see there. Yeah, absolutely. And we are going to Varanasi as well. We actually, if I, if I recall the agenda exactly, we fly into Varanasi and then drive to Allahabad. Um, they have their own airport there, but we're driving there from Varanasi and then we go back to Varanasi after being at the Kumela for a few days and then we spend some time in Varanasi as well. So it's a uh, it's, we start in Kolkata and then fly to Varanasi, drive to Allahabad, and then go back to Varanasi for a few days and then uh, off to New Delhi. What, what are the dates for the trip? So the adventure starts on January 30th and it goes through February 9th. And this is 2019, of course, we're talking about. And uh, all the information you could want to know, this is a huge amount of information. Every time I look at the website, I think, I wonder if I have too much info on here. But <laughs> people need to know. Uh, it's at photojoseph.com slash India. If you just go to photojoseph.com slash India or photojoseph.com and you'll see it right there on the front page as well. And that'll take you there and you'll see all the info. We have a complete itinerary on there, uh, very detailed explanation of what's happening, what we're going to see, where we're staying and everything else. So people have uh, have full confidence that they know what's going to happen while we're there. So I was uh, silent for this little segment because I don't have much to say about India. I'm, I'm the only one of you three, of us three that have not been to India, so I have to... Well, you should come on my workshop, Ugo. <laughs> come, come with me. I got, I got a spot for you. And I heard you have a discount <laughs> offering, so I may be... That's right. Yeah, I, I take did. advantage of that. 
Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. If any of your listeners would like to join me on this workshop, um, as I said, head to photojoseph.com slash India, and that's where you'll get all the information on there. And if you decide you want to join me, then when you reach out, let me know that you are coming from this podcast, that you heard about this on this podcast, and I'll give you a $300 discount off of the uh, off the price on there. Awesome. How large is the group going to be, Joseph? Maximum is eight. So it's going to be a quite a small group. Yeah, we want to keep it small. So I'm the only photography instructor that's going, but then there's going to be a guide from the company that we're working with. And we wanted to keep the group small. So eight is the max. I'm sure it's going to be great. Really, I need to find it's, it. It really to is. It really <laughs> is. I'm, I'm very excited about it myself, so I can't wait. So uh, any other questions, Ralph? I don't think so. Not at this point. Uh, you know, where can people find out more about you online, Joseph? Makes it easy. Photo Joseph absolutely everywhere. Photojoseph.com or just Photo Joseph on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, everywhere. YouTube. It's all Photo Joseph. That's easy. And uh, really appreciated that we were able to talk about video. That's something that I, I need to get more into. So I'm sure our audience will have uh, loved uh, the wealth of tips and information that, that you gave them. So thank you very much for this. Very much appreciated. My pleasure. My pleasure. And I'd like to extend an invitation too to your audience. If you come to the YouTube channel and you see some of the videos there, if you have any questions about photography, video, anything that you want, even really, really specific things, post the questions as a comment on there, or you can post them on Twitter or Facebook, really anywhere. And if the topic is worthy of a whole show, if it's a big enough thing that I can make a whole show about it, then I will. A lot of my show topics come from listener viewer questions because people want to know things. And that's what I'm here to do is to help people learn. I, I don't want to only talk about gear. Obviously, we talk about gear a lot, uh, but I do like to talk about technique as much as I can. And the best technique shows come from listener viewer questions because they have something they want to know. And I'll do my best to answer it for you. Joseph, uh, one other thing I did want to ask is, uh, are you doing anything with drones at all these days? I am. I am not on a really high level. I'm, I haven't gotten my license, which I know one of these days I probably should do. But uh, but I do have a drone. I've got the Mavic Air. I started with the Mavic Spark, the little guy, and uh, upgraded to the Air last year, and or I guess beginning of this year. And uh, it's it's fun. It's a lot of fun. I, I finally broke mine out. I bought it last summer about a year ago, and maybe 10 months later, I actually got it out of the box, if you could believe it or not. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I learned learned how to use it, uh, you know, as much as I could over about two months, and then I did bring it with me on this trip to Mexico oh, and got some pretty amazing footage. Yeah. Uh, now it's just a matter of putting it all together and uh, putting, you know, making it into something. But uh, really, really, uh, what a great place to do it. And so I'm having some fun with it. I know, Ugo, are, are you, have you kind of uh, phased out of using yours much anymore? Are you still out there with it? Uh, I, I use it occasionally. Actually, when we are recording this right before I'm about to leave for Southeast Asia, where I'm going to bring my drone. And actually, when this episode goes live, I will be back from that trip where I Hope to get some nice shoots. Uh, uh, I got information, for instance, in places like places like Malaysia. It's uh, they're very liberal in terms of flying drones. You can fly them pretty much everywhere. So, I hope to get some great footage there. But maybe then I'll think about selling my. I've got a Mavic Pro. I might think about selling it because there are rumors that DJI is going to come out soon with a new model that might or might not have a one inch sensor which uh, really is 
gets me excited if they come up <laughs> with such i mean the, the advantage in terms of image quality should be should be great so sure Sure. It's even even with a smaller sensor, it is incredible what these cameras produce. And I think that's a it's a really important way to look at that. It, it, it's easy to look at this thing as a drone. It's a toy. It's this flying th- airplane that we have all this fun with. And oh, yeah, yeah. by the way, it has a camera. You can flip the script on that. It, it's a flying camera. It's a camera that you can put anywhere. It's a camera with a tripod that can go 400 feet into the air. And even if you're just doing still photography, it's an incredible camera for that to be able to get these angles get these positions that you couldn't normally get with a camera on the ground is remarkable and it really can add to your production and it doesn't have to be if you're going to do video the video doesn't have to be all about drone footage you're shooting video on the ground and you're going to get some shots from the air and those can be great establishing shots transition shots Uh, it's just it's just another camera and uh, it's it's really important to look at it that way, and it really kind of opens up how you're going to use it when you think of it that way. It's not just a toy to fly around. This is a camera that I can put anywhere. Yeah, I don't have any interest in in flying for the sake of flying. I mean, if I could be on a plane, and then yeah, but <laughs> sending an object up in the <laughs> air to fly it doesn't do much for me. But it's yeah, as you said, it's a camera that flies. So that, that's why I'm looking forward to maybe getting. A little better image quality, maybe, especially when the light is, uh, when it it gets dark, sunset shots, things like that. Sure. Might get easier, a bit more megapixels. Who knows? We'll see. There you go. All right. Fun. So I think uh, we're at the end of this this episode. It's been been really great. So uh, thank you again, Joseph, for being with us today. And uh, just like to remind everyone who is listening that you will be able to find this episode and all the other ones at our website, ttim.photo, and of course on Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, and all various platforms that we are on. I don't even remember how many we are. (laughs) Oh, Spotify. We're also on Spotify. so and as for me you can find everything about me at ucphoto.me or look for my name Ugo Chai, on google and you'll find all my various social media uh what about you ralph you're yeah. back from just back from mexico uh where are you going next and where can people find more about you online yeah so i just got back from mexico yesterday and i am leaving for romania uh, in about four days to uh, lead a trip there and then I'll be scouting in Armenia and Georgia nearby and also back in Portugal getting ready to release my uh, May 2019 Portugal trip so people can look forward to that Uh, then I'm off to India and Cambodia and Vietnam for other trips so people can look for me at photoenrichment.com and also I'm on all the social media networks at photoenrichment and at Ralph Velasco quite a quite the collection of places you're going there and you said georgia i was in tbilisi a couple of uh, i guess it was about two summers ago beautiful place loved it there yeah that'll be my first time so i'm really looking forward to it so that'll be for uh, trips that i'm putting together for next year so nice Can't very wait. good great and that's really all now now let's get out and shoot